Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Cliff Ravenscraft Show, a podcast devoted to helping you take your message, your business, and your life to the next level. This, my friends, is episode number 492, and I am your host, Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man. This week, I want to continue talking about money, and more specifically, this week, we're going to talk about wealth, building wealth, and thoughts about it. I started the idea and talking about money last week in episode 491. I ended the episode suggesting from a quote that I read from the introduction to Thou Shall Prosper. Actually, it was the foreword from Dave Ramsey that there should be no guilt or shame at all in accepting money from people who pay us for the products and services that we create. If you struggle with feeling shame for charging people money, or if you feel like marketing is a bad thing, selling is a bad thing, you may wanna start in episode 491 and check out what I had to share there starting last week if you haven't heard that one already. It's not required that you do that before benefiting from today's episode, but that's a really good starting place in this, what might become an ongoing conversation for a little while, because I know that I struggled with it a great deal for a very long time, And even today, there are many things about my mindset that needs to shift continually to help me take my own understanding of money and wealth and how I can even achieve wealth to the next level. So first of all, how did I come to feel the way that I did about building wealth? And I guess the first question is, what is wealth? Because wealth is not money. Money is simply nothing more than a unit of exchange. It's, it's something that we use to exchange with each other. It's got an agreed perceived value, and we just use that so that we can have free trade with one another without having, it, 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 well, we won't get into all of that. The, the idea is money's a unit of exchange. I'm not an economist by any stretch of the imagination, nor do I even hope to become one one day. But what is wealth What and how is that different from money? Well, wealth, there are many different definitions you can look up and find all over the place. But for the purpose of discussion here, let's call wealth and being wealthy, let's consider it as having more than what you need to survive. That may be in clothing, that may be in food, that may be in money. It could be anything that it takes for you to survive. Do you have more than you need? And if so, you're a wealthy person. And the more you have beyond what you need to survive, the more wealthy you are. If that's what wealth is, having more than you need to survive, is that a bad thing? And I will tell you that I have in the past struggled with that idea that, you know, why should I always constantly be striving to have more than I need to survive. And it's, and of course, it comes from this idea and a mindset of scarcity where the idea is that if, if all of these resources are limited and I have more than I need to survive, there's a little bit of the feeling of having more than you need means that you've actually blocked someone else having as much as they need. Now, how can we come up with this mindset and this way of thinking. And some of it for me, not all of it, I mean, there's some of it for me comes from media and education and and other areas and parts of society and culture. But I know there's a lot of my, I will say, warped understanding and programming about money that comes from my Christian upbringing. 
and I've had quite a Christian upbringing. I was involved as a student in a Catholic school from first grade through seventh grade. And I wasn't a Catholic, by the way, but I went there for a better education experience than what I had in public school my first from kindergarten, first grade. But anyway, I was in Catholic school, so I attended religion classes in Catholic school with all the friends in my classes, and I attended Mass every Friday. I wasn't allowed to do communion with the Catholic friends and everything like that, but I certainly took in a lot of Catholic theology and a lot of Catholic culture. And then outside of my school experience, which you know had, was very Catholic indoctrinating, I also had a very evangelical experience in the church space. Now, my parents, when I was a kid, did not take me to church, but they allowed me to go to church anytime I wanted to, and I lived in a neighborhood where a lot of different local congregations had these Sunday school buses. They had vacation Bible school, and so my upbringing is that I went to a lot of Nazarene churches, Baptist churches, Wesleyan churches, Pentecostal churches. I, you, you talk about somebody who's got an eclectic Christian background. That would be me. And one thing I learned was the way that these different people taught their thinking and interpretations of what scriptures are. I learned that people had different opinions on this, and every and it seemed like everyone who had their opinion did not express it as an opinion, but as truth, and that anybody who disagreed with it was a heretic. Uh, but, and by the way, I'm getting ready to share with you some Bible stories. This is, trust me, in no way means, shapes, or form for me to try to convince anybody into Christianity. In fact, I am a Christian. I am a believer in Jesus, and that is very much who I am. But what I want to share with you is where I believe some of my thinking about money and wealth and the idea of having more than you need to survive came from. And I'm going to share with you at least three stories that immediately jump out in my mind. It instantly comes to mind. Now, the first one's not so much a story, but just a Bible verse. If you've grown up in Christian circles, you may have heard people say that money is the root of all evil. And if you come away from that upbringing thinking money is the root of all evil, then obviously the idea of pursuing money and pursuing wealth financially might seem to be uh, an unworthy endeavor, that it might, be, it might seem to be quite a folly, if you will. The fact is that the Bible never once ever, ever said that money is the root of all evil. Where a lot of people get this from and their understanding that money is evil and the root of all evil is from a scripture in the New Testament. It's 1 Timothy 6.10. And the King James Version actually says this. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which some coveted after. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, obviously, it says here that it is the love of money that is the root of all evil in the King James Version. So there is a difference between money being evil and 
the love of money being evil. Now, I'm not going to get into a theological discussion, but I don't believe money is evil. And I don't even think that the pursuit of money equals what this thing is calling the love of money. Now, the interesting thing here is that the King James Version, when the the folks who were translating the Bible back then, they felt like the proper translation was the love of money is the root of all evil. However, modern day translators believe that a more accurate way of saying this, and this is what it says in the NIV, is this. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So it is a root, not the root. It is a root of all kinds of evil. And it also says that some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And by the way, there have been times when for me in my own venture, and I've shared this transparently, there have been times when building my business where it wasn't all about serving people and helping people and adding values, but but value for people. There were some times when it was all about the money. It's like, what can I do just to make more money? And and it was more for the love of the money than it was for serving people. And and it wasn't what it was doing to provide for. It's just, I just want more money, 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 money. And I have to watch out for that, that I'm not doing things just for greed. And by the way, every time that's ever happened to me, I'm like, all of a sudden, my sense of joy and purpose and fulfillment from the work that I do drops to zero. I get burned out and I'm like, woe is me. I hate what I'm doing. This is horrible. It's, 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 it, sure, I'm making lots of money, but this just adds no value to my life overall. That's a danger that is out there, but that still doesn't mean that we should not pursue the ability to gain financially more than what we need to survive. It's it's not saying that having more than you need to survive is evil. It's saying that, hey, if your constant goal and pursuit and all you think about is money at the expense of loving others, at the expense of serving others, at the expense of ignoring everyone else's needs around you, if that's the case, yeah, that, that is a root of all kinds of evil. But the idea that just to say, okay, anybody who is pursuing wealth or ha- pursuing more money than they need to survive is evil, that, that is not what the scripture is saying. However, the little subconscious mind, if you hear those things, those messages, especially if all of a sudden some people are out there teaching that money and the pursuit of money or any money beyond what you need to survive is bad, then that lingers with you throughout life or can until you understand it and and identify that that's a way that you've been thinking and, and do something about it. So is that the only thing from the Christian background that would keep me thinking that maybe the pursuit of more than I need is is too much? Well, what about an Old Testament story? Maybe there's something in the Old Testament that still is sticking in my head. And here, the story that comes to my mind is the idea of this manna where God provides for the Israelites in the desert in Exodus chapter 16. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but the idea is that the Israelites, God had freed them from slavery in Egypt, 
but they're in the desert for 40 years. How are they going to eat? Some of them were grumbling and complaining. They're like, listen, it would have been better to be slaves. They were complaining how hungry they were, obviously. And so I'm just going to read selected verses out of chapter 16 of Exodus. Verse number four, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now, there's more to the story than what I just shared with you, but the idea is that God says, listen, I'm going to provide you some food. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you, and each day, each person is to gather enough for that day. So in verse 17 and 18, it says that the Israelites did as they were told, and it continued on, and then it says everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Get this? It's just as much as they needed to survive. That's that's pretty much just, that's all they gathered. Now in verse 19, it says, then Moses told them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. <laughs> However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So the whole idea here is is this story prescribing that we should never store up for ourselves more than what we need to survive. When we do that, are we are we showing that we don't trust God? And I will tell you that's the way I had been taught in some circles that if you trust God, You trust God each day to provide the things you need, and you don't store up for yourself anything more than that. And you might think, well, okay, but Cliff, can't you understand that could be the moral of the story is where he says, listen, in this way, I'm going to just test to see if they'll follow my instructions. That was the instructions he gave for them. Is that the instructions he's giving for everyone? Well, let's go to another story, this time in the New Testament. The next story that comes to my mind and the way the modern-day Bible publishing companies will title the story, it's called The Parable of the Rich Fool. Even that, just the way if you read that in your Bible, it's like anybody who's rich has to be a fool. You know, There's some kind of association there. But here's what it says in Luke 12, 13 through 21. This is from the New International Version. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, that is. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Then he told them this parable. So Jesus is going to tell them a story to make a point here. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, 
but is not rich toward God. Now, I'm going to take a break here from sharing these stories with you to read some feedback that came from my friend Ian Anderson Gray. And he left a comment on last week's episode, episode 491. And this is what he said. He says, Cliff, I was smiling pretty much through this entire episode, except the point when I was cringing with empathy at your story of not charging the $300 for a consulting call when you solved your client's problem in five minutes. I was smiling because your story is so similar to the one that I am going through right now. I'm sure many people listening can identify with it. I really struggle with shame in charging for my knowledge, particularly when it is something that I really enjoy. On the other hand, I can end up resenting all the emails and comments from people asking me for help for free because I just don't have the time to help everyone. It can burn me out. You'll remember that you recommended the book Thou Shall Prosper to me a few weeks ago on Facebook. This book has made me realize how much of a mind shift I need to make in order to grow my business and be better equipped to serve and help others. That's what I want to do, but serving and being paid for it feels so wrong and alien to me. I know that shouldn't be the case, but it's how I feel and something I'm trying to work through. On another note, I don't want to end up loving money itself, and I'm trying to wrestle with the message of this book, and he's referring to Thou Shall Prosper, with what Jesus says about money. I think there is a tension there, but I don't think that they are conflicting. I'd be interested in your thoughts there sometime. Thanks again for your amazing insight and your honesty. You're a big inspiration to me. Well, thank you so much, Ian. I really appreciate your comments and everyone else who took time to share your thoughts on the comment section for last week's episode as well. I really appreciate hearing from you guys. Now, the reason why I chose to share Ian's comment just now is because I wanted to share with you that I'm not alone in feeling some of these feelings about money, that other people do feel them. And the reason why I specifically chose Ian's is because I know from a conversation that Ian and I had back in Scotland when I was uh, visiting Europe for New Media Europe, he and I had a wonderful one-on-one conversation about our Christian upbringing and had a a great talk about faith and all sorts of things about life. And uh, I still remember that conversation, Ian, and and I appreciate our friendship that's resulted as a growth of that conversation initially. But anyway, the reason why I shared his comments here is because I know that a lot of the conflict that he's saying that he feels here, he says, but serving and being paid for it feels so wrong and alien to me. And the fact that he says, listen, I, I don't want to end up loving money itself, but I'm trying to wrestle with the message of thou shall prosper, the things that this book is saying about the praiseworthiness of business and the fact that there should not be any shame in accepting money or charging money for providing products or services or serving others with our business. Now, he says that he's trying to wrestle with the message of that book with the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament. And I am going to jump back into some more teachings. I mean, it it wasn't just the three that I shared just a moment ago. I mean, if we look at Luke 12, 33, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And then 1 John 3, 17. Now, suppose a person has enough to live on and notices another believer in need. How can God's love be in that person if he does not bother to help the other believer? Luke 3.11 says, And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics, or whoever has more tunics than they need to survive. Okay, so let's put that little caveat in there. Whoever has two tunics is to share it with him who has none. And whoever who has more food than they need to survive is to do likewise. Now, Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money. And here it says, be content with what you have. Now, this goes back to Ecclesiastes. We're back in the Old Testament here. But those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. (laughs) People who work hard, sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Another one about money, Luke 6, 24 through 25, but woe unto you that are rich. (laughs) James 5, 1 through 3, come now, O ye rich, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are rotten and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corrupted with rust, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall completely eat your flesh as fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. (laughs) Oh my gosh, do you see why we Christians can have such a very terrifying view of money and wealth and building up and storing up for ourselves any more than we need to survive. Because we've been taught and trained that this is wrong. And and oftentimes we can take these scriptures and just say, okay, this is God telling us we must not. And how can you come away from this? If you study this, how can you come away from this with any different perspective than building wealth is wrong. But one thing that I know is that if you happen to already have a very strong conviction about something that is right or something that is wrong, when you are going through and reading the scriptures, certain verses, certain stories will jump out at you more than others and they will scream validation for what you already believe deep in your heart with great and sincere conviction. And oftentimes these stories will be highlighted, there'll be notes taken and eventually you come up with a a log file that says thoughts about money And then you go in and you write all of these verses down and you pull them out and all of a sudden this becomes the things that you, the the Bible teaches about money. Now, the thing is though, if you have a very strong conviction otherwise, what if you were taught and trained from early childhood that 
God desires for you to be prosperous, that God desires for you to not only have what you need, but to have more than what you need so that you can not just serve yourself and your family, but also provide for the needs of those around you. What if you had a deep conviction that being rich could be something that is valuable? Now, with some caution, obviously, about only loving money and going off the tracks with desire and greed, which is a very real danger. But you have been trained that with those warnings, yet there is value in having more. What if you had that deep conviction? Do you think you could go through scriptures and as you create a log file about teachings about money, do you think it's possible that you would come up with a different list of verses and scriptures? You better believe it. And that's what I wanted to share with you from not just about money, but on just about every topic out there that people have deep (laughs) rooted convictions about what is right and wrong. From my experience, from the Catholic Church, the Nazarene Church, the Methodist, the Baptist, the Pentecostal, the Assembly of God, all of these different backgrounds, and then the ones I studied in school, one of the things many people don't know about me, or maybe don't hear very often because I don't share it a lot, but I was also a licensed pastor in the Nazarene Church, and I did ministry studies. I was a student of Nazarene Bible College, so I not only studied the faiths that I grew up in, but I also studied the background and theology of a lot of other denominations and religions as well, and what I can tell you is that there's a lot of people who have a lot of different opinions, and they just simply use different references in scripture to back up their points of view and their convictions. And I believe that everyone, almost everyone, does this not from a heart of deceit, but in a heart that they want to share with what they believe God has laid on their heart to be true. They want to pass that along to other people. And oftentimes, people have been taught that all of these things that Jesus said Jesus doesn't want anyone to be rich. Jesus doesn't want anyone to have more. And you know what? It's very easy to come away with that opinion. But what if there is a different way? Could you be open to the idea that Jesus was saying that to certain people in certain circumstances because he knew the heart of the people he was speaking to and wasn't necessarily speaking as a prescription for every single person out there? Although... I, I I get it. There is tension. There is tension there in this message. And it is something that I believe we as Christians, those of us who are Christian, I know that everybody listening to this episode, I know that those who are subscribed to my, not everyone listening to this is a Christian. But I, I this is what I want to share with you. This is how my upbringing in the Christian faith has has really shaped my view of money and my view of wealth, and I thought it was a very shameful thing. That's what I wanted to share. I wanted to share these are my original, some of my, some of my original programming when it came to money and wealth, and honestly, I think that if we only look at this side of things from this perspective, we can have a warped understanding of business and selling 
products and services and charging money for the things that we do, especially those things that we are gifted and talented in and that we love so much, just like Ian said, and certainly I have felt in my own heart. But I want to completely shift gears. And I want to start by sharing with you when I, for the very first time, began to see and understand wealth from a completely different perspective. The very first time that I started to see wealth from a different perspective was this YouTube video. It was several years ago that I found this YouTube video by a guy named Bill Whittle. Never heard about him before that. Really didn't pay much attention to him after that one video. But it was this one 10-minute video. It helped me understand where wealth comes from. And that wealth is not limited. In fact, one of the things he says in the video, he says, listen, the problem is that many people struggle with the idea of wealth because they believe that money and and things that make up wealth are a limited resource. He said that they see the multimillionaire with the private jet, the expensive car, and three or four big houses as a villain. And why is that? Well, in their mind, Everything that makes up wealth is a limited resource. And so if if there is a giant but limited amount of money available in the world, then that would mean that this multimillionaire who has more has more because someone else has less. But this is a part of this thing called the mindset of scarcity, that there, there is a limited amount of resources to go around a limited amount of wealth. However, there is a different way you can look at wealth. And it's, you know, associated with this mindset of abundance, that there really is no limit to wealth. That in a way, you could actually, through creativity, through invention, and through hard work, people can physically create new wealth essentially out of nothing. A person with an abundance view of wealth doesn't necessarily see this multimillionaire as a villain. Instead, he could be viewed as a hero. I mean, now, by the way, this doesn't mean that you view all wealthy people as good people. That's just, I mean, that's dependent on the actual individual itself. You know, money doesn't make a person good or bad. It just, it might actually just amplify what was already there to begin with as far as that person's character. Here's the thing. The person who has all this wealth of a multimillionaire, that person's wealth, personal wealth, is just a small percentage of a much larger amount of wealth that he has produced in the world, all right? That he has, wealth he has created. So if he has, if someone has personal wealth, that is a small percentage of a much larger overall wealth that he has created in the world. The idea here being that wealth can be created, that wealth is an unlimited resource that can grow and grow and grow. In fact, in this video, I'm going to play you a total of five audio clips from this video, very short, very brief clips, each of them about a minute uh, one of them, two minutes, but anyway, the first clip here is where he's going to talk about using the, he's going to use the United States and our economy 
as an example of how wealth can grow out of nothing. Now, back in 1862, during the Civil War, the U.S. federal budget was about $530 million. In 2010, that number was $3.55 trillion. That's $3,550 billion. It's about 7,000 times more. Now, does that mean in very general terms, just as a milestone, that there is 7,000 times as much wealth in America today as there was back in 1862? Yeah, it absolutely means that. The population of America today is only about 10 times what it was then, but the country is unimaginably wealthier. In 1862, the city that I live in, Los Angeles, looked like this. This was downtown Los Angeles right around the time that the U.S. federal budget was $500 million. Today, Los Angeles looks like this. Now, if wealth is limited, where did all this stuff come from? All of the shops, the restaurants, the 7-Elevens, and the endless rows of houses, each with automobiles, air conditioning, widescreen TVs, Xbox 360s, and all the rest. Where did the money, the excess wealth, come from? to turn Los Angeles from a couple of huts into this. Oh, and by the way, this is a place where the poorest people have things that the richest people in 1862 never had or could have dreamed of buying. Things like antibiotics, electricity, cell phones, and a thousand other common everyday miracles. So in that clip, obviously he's talking about how the wealth of the United States had grown more than 7,000 times greater today than it was in 1862 and and you can't argue with the the pictures that are shown in the video that shows a couple you know a, a couple wooden shacks that were the downtown Los Angeles to what Los Angeles today which is these massive buildings and the poorest of the poor today have access to so many miracles that and wealth you know just the idea of antibiotics and and cell phones and all these other things air conditioning the, the the poorest of the poor today have an unimaginable amount of greater wealth than the richest of the rich in 1862 so wealth has increased it has increased so where does this wealth come from and that's where he talked about next in the first place he says that wealth comes from is creativity. Here's what he had to say. Let's say that one day you sat down with a pen and paper and you wrote a hit song. Or maybe you're an architect and you drew floor plans for a new office building. Or maybe you patented the light bulb or the transistor or any of the rest. You created something in your head that wasn't there before, something that had value, which simply means that other people wanted it and were ready to turn over some of their extra money, their extra work tokens, in exchange for it. Now you see this? This is an iPhone. This iPhone costs more than an abacus because it does everything that an abacus could do a thousand times more quickly and easily, and it does a bunch of really cool stuff that an abacus can never do. We're now able to produce and to own things like iPhones because thousands, actually it's probably millions, of individual people had the mental creativity to make each one of the technologies and components that lets the iPhone do what it does. The raw materials, the plastic and the metal, that goes into making this iPhone costs just a few pennies, but the idea, the essence of this iPhone is worth much, much more. All right, so there is the idea that creatively, just creatively, you can come up with ideas and, and create something 
that adds wealth. It adds wealth to the person who will buy the product. And in the case of the iPhone, it adds wealth to all of the people who have been a part of creating all of the components that make up the iPhone. People are have jobs that have paid money and all of, yes, just creatively. You coming up with an idea and then finding a way to implement it adds wealth in so many different ways. It creates wealth. The second place where wealth comes from is complexity. What about work that doesn't involve any creativity or inventiveness at all? Does that actually create wealth? Yes, it does. You know, I was an office temp when I first got to LA and one day I was led way in the back past the cubicles to a desk facing a cinder block wall. And there I had to take one massive printout of customer names and compare them to an identical massive printout of checks issued and to mark them off one by one to confirm that these people had gotten those checks. What had I done that was worth my $7.50 an hour? Well, I'd made that insurance company just a little bit wealthier. By confirming those check mailings, I was reducing loss of customers due to frustration and error. I was reducing the amount of time that higher level, more valuable employees needed to spend on doing the damage caused by unsent checks and all the rest. What I had done was I had added just a little to the complexity of the entire world and therefore I added a little bit of value because, and this is important, a cross-checked and confirmed list was more valuable than one that wasn't. And of course, they made me just a little bit wealthier too. So just by adding to the complexity of how the world works, even if you're not a very creative person, you're an employee that just is doing the processes that have been set out for a company, by you doing that, you are creating additional wealth for the business And as a result, they're able to take some of that additional wealth that would not have been there had you not worked there, and they're able to give a portion of that and make you wealthier than you were before doing the job in the process. So that is a second source. And here is where I get really excited, the third place where wealth comes from, and it's this idea of free trade. And this is where I love what I do. This is where you're creating products. This is where you're creating services and you're trading with other people. Have a listen to this. Let's say you're a member of a hunting tribe up in the mountains. Your tribe is great at making spears. They're solid, they're straight, and they've got a strong flint spearhead. But you don't get to do much gathering, so your baskets look like old bird's nests. Now, meanwhile, down in the valley is a gatherer tribe. Their baskets are woven tight enough to hold water, but Their spears are a little better than wobbly sticks. Now, one day, a guy from the hunter tribe meets a guy from the gatherer tribe, and together, they agreed to trade one of the hunter's excellent spears for one of the gatherer's top-notch baskets. They both go home, and the question now is, which one of them is wealthier? They both are, and that's the miracle. They both are returning with things that they and their tribe prize more highly than what they gave away simply because they are harder to obtain. They're rarer. But that's just the beginning, you see. The expert spear maker then realizes that if he gets up early and stays up late, he can make more spears than he needs for just himself. And he can trade that extra work for something he considers valuable, a basket, let's say. It motivates him to do more than he needs. The exact same thing is true of the basket weaver. And pretty soon, both of them are employing their idiot sons-in-laws manufacturing spears and baskets. 
Yes, the guy making and trading the spears gets relatively rich, but the fact is everybody wins. The idiot's son-in-law, the guys making the flint spearheads, the entire hunter tribe gets the kind of baskets that they would never have had otherwise, and likewise for the gatherers with their awesome new spears. Yes, the guys with the spears could go out and kill all the gatherers and take all the baskets. And then there'd be no more baskets. Free trade is non-coercive. Both parties only get wealthier when both parties willingly trade what they have for what they want. Now, I will tell you what you just heard in that two-minute clip is when it clicked for me. Oh, my gosh. When all of a sudden you ask the question after that first exchange between the hunter and the gatherer, one came home with a new water leak proof basket. The other one came with super sharp tipped arrows. Which of those two, after making a trade saying, hey, I'll give you this for that, which of the two went home more wealthy? Both of them. One had more baskets than they needed to survive. The hunters, they had more arrows than they needed to survive. By giving some of their excess or additional arrows beyond what they needed to survive in exchange for a basket, which they also needed or wanted or valued very highly, all of a sudden now, because of that exchange between those two people, now they both come away from that transaction being wealthier. A way that for me to think about this is when I bought my the very first time I bought an iMac that would allow me to process videos very easily, efficiently, and in a way that would inspire me to, to get even more serious about creating online digital tutorials and products. Prior to this big, huge purchase, I was using budget computers. Even when I bought my very first Mac, I bought myself a laptop that was the cheapest entry-level Mac computer that I could buy. And so every time I bought computers, I always bought as cheap as I can get, but still get the operating system that I needed. And none of these computers made it convenient for me to create digital tutorials. Software would crash, it would take forever. It, it was just a painful process and one that definitely did not make me excited about creating new tutorials. But then I decided, you know, I want to get a new desktop computer. I'm, I'm going to go and get myself a 27-inch iMac. And the question is, should I get the cheapest model? And the cheapest model would have at least allowed me to create video projects. But then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, wait a second. I've done this before. I, first of all, I want a bigger hard drive. I want a, I want the biggest hard drive I can get. And I want the most amount of RAM that I can get so that this thing is going to be faster. And so that when I finish a video project, that thing is done in you know 20 minutes processing instead of two and a half hours. So I went ahead and loaded everything up in the Apple Store lo and behold, it was about a $2,600 purchase. Apple created a computer and sold me a computer for $2,600 of my dollars, which thankfully I was wealthy at the time because those $2,600 that I had was more 
money than I needed to survive. I had at that moment in time at least $2,600 more than I needed to survive. And because I had that wealth, I gave those extra dollars to Apple Computer and they in turn gave me a 27-inch iMac. Now, in that exchange, who came away wealthier? A lot of people did. A lot of people came away wealthier. First, I wanna tell you that I did not come away from that transaction less wealthy. Instead, I will tell you, I came away with a 27-inch iMac that was an extremely powerful machine, one of the most powerful Mac computers you could get at the time. And I had a system that would allow me to create products and services that I could then sell over and over again. And I want to tell you that from the time I had that very first high-powered 27-inch iMac before I replaced it with my next 27-inch iMac several years later, like three years later, I had generated well over $50,000 in sales of $100 tutorials. I generated over $50,000 in three years off of tutorials that I made over the course of eight weeks. It only took me eight weeks from the time I got that computer until the time I, I created all the tutorials that I needed to create. Because of the work of eight weeks on that $2,600 computer over the three years without doing any further work, those tutorials over and over again while I was doing other things generated sales and profited me over $50,000. I became wealthier. Now, by the way, because of that, for each person who purchased a tutorial from me for $100, who came away wealthier, me or that person? Both. I became $100 wealthier as far as financially, and they became wealthier because of the additional amount of time that they saved in watching that tutorial that saved them from spending hours of their lives trying to figure out trial and error, the things that I could easily teach them in a very brief moment of time in a pre-recorded tutorial that is based upon my years of experience of teaching that same information one-on-one -on -one to people at many times more the cost of what they paid for the tutorial. And so, it allowed me to help and serve more people. And by the way, more people have purchased my digital tutorials than I could ever dream of helping one-on-one, -on -one, even if I worked 80 hours a week booking my schedule nonstop. It was something that made me far more wealthy in the process of my purchase of that $2,600. And it's made a lot of other people more wealthy in freed up time and resources so that they could do other things that would generate more wealth for them. Now, did Apple become more wealthy as a result of that transaction? Absolutely. Apple added to its bottom line another $2,600 sale. And what happened to that money? Portions of that money went to pay salaries for people at the, at the store where I bought it. Some of that money went to pay the delivery drivers that delivered that computer from 
the warehouse and then ship to the outlets, those people got a cut of that $2,600. All the people who assembled that computer, the people who designed that computer got it. All of those $2,600 or $2,600 certificates of appreciation that I gave to Apple for giving me this amazing uh, 27-inch iMac computer that I had purchased, those certificates of appreciation went out and trickled out to so many people. So many people became more wealthy or added to their wealth because of that purchase. And when I started to think about wealth in this way, it radically changed my mind. Going back to that story, and, and I'll, I'll complete the audio clips here that I share from the Bill Whittle video that I found years ago. He said that some people believe that the United States is so much wealthier today that it's 7,000 times greater wealth in the United States today than there was in 1862 is because we stole it from all these other third world countries. And this is what he had to say about that. U.S. GDP is about $14 trillion. The GDP of a third world country, Djibouti, let's say, is about a billion dollars. Now, America has 400 times as many people as Djibouti, but Americans don't just produce 400 times what Djibouti produces. We produce 14,000 times as much as they do. If we sent in the U.S. Marines to take every single thing Djibouti produced in one year, just took every single thing, their entire GDP, well, that would power the U.S. economy for 38 minutes of the first hour of the first day of America's GDP year. If we took everything from the bottom 40 countries, it might run the U.S. economy for a day or two. The whole idea is ridiculous, at least to people who know how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. My friends, whenever two parties make a free will trade, spices for wool or grain for firewood, or even $3.50 for a Happy Meal, both sides benefit because the customer would rather have the hamburger and McDonald's would rather have the 350. And there you go, my friends. The, the view of wealth that I have today is as long as both sides benefit, we're moving in the right direction. I wanted to share that with you today. Uh, uh, it was the first thing that, that really helped me to start seeing the idea of wealth in a healthier light. I very much am concerned personally with how God feels about what I should or should not be doing in this world. I am a person of faith. I am deeply involved in my relationship with God. And I will tell you that today I no longer struggle with this idea that God wants me to live a life where I generate just enough of money for us to survive and that if I all of a sudden have more money in my bank account or if I have a couple extra electronic items that maybe I didn't really need but it's just there for fun and I'm just adding to my possessions, I no longer feel guilty about those things. I did share with you that there have been times in my business and entrepreneurial journey where all of a sudden I started to see some things that I was doing that was generating some significant increasing amounts of income. And there were times when that just got, I got caught up in it and I did start to focus on just the almighty dollar. And those are the times when all of a sudden I felt like, ah, I, this doesn't feel right to me. But it's not generating wealth. It was where my focus was. It was what my heart was on. And every single time, I'm very thankful that it came back to 
what is this all about? Where is the fulfillment in life from? It is not from the money or the physical possessions that I have. My value and fulfillment in life comes from serving and helping others. And actually, I find fulfillment and value in working hard. I enjoy working. And the cool thing is, is when there is wealth, when I have more financially than I need to survive, it frees me up to do creative things that allow me to serve many more people. At the end of episode 491, I had asked people to share with me their thoughts, and Mark left me a comment. I told him I would cover this one in this episode. So he says, thank you for number 491. If I work directly with only the people who are able to pay, and my free resources are good, but not as good as my one-on-one services, then what can I do to bridge the gap between those who can pay versus those who cannot? All right, this is a great question, and I am going to try to just think this out loud. I don't have any notes prepared ahead of time. First of all, there's he says, if I work directly with only those who are able to pay. Now, first, I want to state that I'm not suggesting that you only work with people who are able to pay. I I am not suggesting that at all. I believe there are ways for you to work with people who can't afford to pay you, but you still feel led to work with them in one way, shape, or form. I do for some what I wish I could do for everyone. Now, the thing is, though, is I do focus mainly on making sure that the people who are able to pay me, that I'm providing them amazing value. And the other thing is is that sometimes um, the fact that you charge money and that you're not freely available and you're not just, you're not always going around just giving away everything you do for free one-on-one with people. There are some people who all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, it's an aspiration for them to get to the place where they can afford to hire you. And so I have had many people who say, Cliff, I am so glad that you charge what you charge because I knew that I wanted to take your $2,000 course, but before I could do that, I had to get some priorities straight financially. And because I made it a goal to sign up for your $2,000 podcasting A to Z course, because of that, I set some goals, and three years ago, I implemented this plan, and today, like you, I'm debt-free minus my mortgage, and I am delighted, I was delighted to finally be able to hand you these 2,000 certificates of appreciation, and I can't wait to work with you over the course of these four weeks, and I've had many people tell me that over the years. Today, I wanted to share the idea of wealth and where does wealth come from and is it a limited resource? And I hope that by my sharing this message that I heard many years ago from Bill Whittle, I just resonated with the whole idea that when two people exchange something freely between each other, it's something that they both chose to do and that they both have benefited in the process, that both of them are wealthier and that wealth has increased in the world as a result. And also I wanted to share with you where my own Christian upbringing had originally taught me to think about wealth in a completely different way than I do today. 
Now, it wasn't just this video from Bill Whittle that has changed my mind about wealth and how wealth fits into my faith background, not just my background and my upbringing, but my vision of the future and what God may be calling me to do in this world. A lot of that has changed radically as well, and some of it, much of it, I'm still working out, and I I believe I'll be sharing with some more thoughts from Thou Shall Prosper. If I continue to hear from you guys that you're enjoying this, you can go to podcastanswerman.com slash 492. Let me know that you're really digging this and I'll continue on. But anyway, to wrap things up here, I do want to let you know that my next session of podcasting A to Z is coming up on Monday, May 1st. If you've been thinking about launching a podcast, I would love to be your personal coach for four weeks. No more sitting there trying to figure out what equipment you need, what cables you need, how do you hook all this stuff up. Some of you out there are still struggling. Gosh, I can't even choose a topic. I got so many different passions. I don't know which one I should pick. I can help you with that. Maybe you think, well, you know, I've been trying to do this for so long. I I just don't understand the technology, the websites. It's all so complex. I just don't understand it. And there seems to be so much conflicting information. I can help you with that. The cool thing is, is this course is not just giving you a bunch of online tutorials, which by the way, I am going to give you access to a bunch of online tutorials. And they are literally step-by-step tutorials that will walk you through everything. People have told me, gosh, Cliff, I came up with a list of questions to ask. And then as I was going through the video, you answered every single question. You you gave me unlimited access to ask you all these questions but you're answering them before I even can ask you. But the reality is is that every single time I go through this course, there are lots of questions that each individual comes up with that are their own little stumbling boxes. Like they can't get past to the next section without this question being answered, this burning question in their head, something that's not clicking for them. And the cool thing is is that during this course, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m., to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, I am answering every single question that my students ask me. You get unlimited access to me as your personal coach for four weeks. I would love to serve you in Podcasting A to Z. If you're interested in joining me, head over to podcastingatoz.com and register today. I look forward to serving you soon. Until next time, my friends, I encourage you to work on taking your thoughts about money and wealth to a whole new level. Podcast! Add some man!